You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Okay, it looks like you're in a refrigerator or something. Uh, I'm in a secure, undisclosed location. Um, uh, okay, if that's your that's idea That's all you secure. need to know. We're going on a need-to-know basis here, Mickey, and that's all you need to know. Okay. Uh, um, well, you don't know where I am either. No, um, but I, I want to compliment you on those curtains. Those are nice. They're very pretty. Um, took me a long time to pick them out. The, uh, today is the day I would get COVID if I got COVID at this weird... Uh, I went to a, an event that it was filled with liberals in Los Angeles, and nobody was wearing a mask. It was bizarre. It was a great event, but it was just odd. How do you account for that? Uh, uh, there, uh, there, it was put together by mature people who have a realistic view of, of life and think they got to take chances or something. Uh, it could be this very fashionable theory, which I am resisting, which is if you're vaccinated, it's good to get COVID because uh, that will just give you greater immunity. You're not going to die. You'll recover. And then you'll be better than before because you'll have the vax and the COVID immunity, the natural COVID immunity. There's an actual study showing as much. I don't know if it's reliable, but there was but such a finding. In, 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 in preparation for this, I reviewed some of the stuff about the potential brain effects of COVID, even if you recover, even mm-hmm. if you don't go into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's alarming enough that if you value your brain, you don't want to get COVID. Uh, like even how how alarming? You... I mean, did they have like percentages? Like, like No, certain... nothing like that. It's like... So it's all well, anecdotal. Like... No, no, there was a study. I just didn't get to the part where they showed percentages. Oh, I see. There well, was, you, you need to get to actual... that part, I think, before you get alarmed. Okay, well, next week I'll have the percentages, but I might also have COVID. So uh, I can provide a link, link to the study. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's how, how is this COVID thing going? Do you have a sense? One weird uh, thing is how much higher our death rate is relative to Britain's uh, experience with Delta. You know, like... Uh, the ratio of death per capita to caseload per capita is much higher here than in Britain. Well, is it higher than the relative ratio? We're, we're, we're more unvaccinated, so that could be that could be it. I mean, somewhat. It's not. It's not a super dramatic difference, but uh, that could be it. It could also be that there, you know, this is a tribute to socialized medicine, and we have more people who get bad uh, medical care. I don't know. Or, 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 or we could be uh, more obese. We could be that. Having, having taken trips to the American heartland, Bob, we're not Mickey, in that good shape. Mickey, I am from the American heartland. You know what? I, you know what? I figured out only two years ago at a family reunion. That, was that, that I was not only I, I did the math, I, I, I asked my older sister some questions about, you know, when we moved where. And I did the math and I realized I am not only I was not only born in Oklahoma, I was conceived in Kansas. OK, it doesn't get more middle American than that. I think That's you're not a allowed far to cry from Beverly Hills. You're not allowed to run for president because you are from two states just by yourself. 
uh, maybe, I, I don't know what. Uh, or maybe you don't have to have a vice president because you you already represent several states. Um, the uh, it's like uh, this friend of mine from. Do you have this experience at family unions? This friend of mine from Southie in Boston, Irish American uh, neighborhood that per- portrayed in uh, that Matt Damon movie about the guy who's a genius, works as a janitor at MIT. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but go ahead. It's a famous movie. He misses the sixth game of the World Series because he's bonding with Robin Williams. You must have seen it. It's not anyway. Goodwill Hunting, right? It's uh, Yeah, Goodwill oh, Hunting. It's Goodwill Hunting. Okay. Uh, haven't seen uh, it. Haven't seen it. There's a sign of brain deterioration right there. They, anyway, he went back to that neighborhood, and, and he went to his family reunion, and he was greeted from an, by an old friend from across the street. You didn't get fat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was the only guy in his family who had gotten fat, in neighborhood who hadn't gotten fat. Uh, is that the case with you? Well, no, well, these are immediate family, family reunions. And like, okay. all when I am at one of these family reunions, all of my energy is focused on not uttering the word Trump. Because you know the place will blow if that happens. As you know, three of my four siblings voted for Trump and many of their offspring. Some of us some of us has the reverse problem, Bob. Well, you're on the reverse you side of the same problem. You're y- problem. you are the problem in your family. Um <laughs> not to not to view this from a particular tribal perspective, but you are the problem in your family and and in my family, my family is the problem. Yeah. It's just a majority minority thing. Not making any judgments. Um the the second thing so, so, so there's this crazy theory, which you, I gather you don't take as that crazy, that it's not that we shouldn't worry about getting COVID because getting COVID, unless you're going to die, is actually not that bad. Um, I, I don't know. It can be bad. I, I, I know if people have long COVID, it's terrible. Yeah. It's bad. Okay. It's fatigue. It's like- and I, I, I seem especially susceptible to these long-term uh not crippling, but sort of chronic fatigue type things. Like after I got mono, I ne- it changed my whole symptomology. I never really recovered. And uh, so I, this is just going to be another one. You know, so but are you sure that's stop? not all in your head, the, like the mono thing? Because you, you have to admit, you're the kind of person in whose head it would all be. Well, I think it's all allergies, and I think having mono changes the way your body reacts to allergies. I was thinking more of hypochondria. If you remember, Bob, I once asked this of it of Dr. Fauci before he was famous. And he said he was head of all allergies research in the United States. And he said, Mickey, we don't know that much about allergies. So, so well, I think it. The answer is we don't know, but if you talk to an allergist, they will tell you that having mono makes a big change in people. Okay. Every, everybody has mono now, so it doesn't, I mean, you can't distinguish, but. Okay. That so, that could be. So, uh, is there more on COVID? I mean, the death rate yeah. is, is is rising like rapidly. I mean, that's the other thing. Is is the? I mean, another way to put this is what I just said is is if you look at the curves, ours compared to Britain's, and both are per capita curves. Our caseload curve never rose as sharply as their rose theirs rose, but I think our death rate curve is rising more sharply than theirs ever rose. Um, are there, right. There is more, which is first Florida's 
was it la- last week? I thought Florida's rate, death rate was mysteriously going down. It turns out uh, that they've changed their method of reporting. So they, uh, they, they don't report the cases as they come in. They assign the date of, of the infection, mm-hmm. of the death. So mm-hmm. they go back and they add it to that day's totals, which means there'll always be a lag. It'll always seem to be going down because there's a reporting lag. The most recent ones, the reports won't have come in yet. Uh, and I had held out hope that even if you corrected for that, the death rate would not increase. Uh, since, you know, for various reasons, people are being hospitalized, hospitalized for, for on lesser grounds than before. More people were vaccinated. So the, the death rate wouldn't rise uh, commensurate, but it's since risen. So it's clearly, mm-hmm. it's rising in Florida too. Uh, uh, my theories were wrong. Um, the, uh, the other issue is uh, variants. And there was an interesting quote in a, in a story linked by Drudge that seems to confirm what I, I had thought, which is that uh Yes, there are more variants if more people are vaccinated, but if fewer people are vaccinated, the variants don't have pressure to target the vaccine. Wait, there are fewer variants if more people are vaccinated, right? Right. There are yeah, few, okay. fewer number of variants. But okay. The, and the what's the second part? It, sorry? And what's the second part? But there are... But the variants that happen... Uh, go to this quote now so i'm not going to be able to see you but um to uh more likely to target uh the um the uh the vaccine so you're more likely to get a variant the more vaccines you get the more likely you are to get a variant that targets the vaccine and can evade the vaccine so it's not completely clear that vaccination is it seems to me it's an empirical question, but what I don't think we know the answer uh, to uh, whether having vaccines is a way, vaccinating people is a way to stop variants. People should get vaccinated so they don't die. But well, vac- uh, yeah. well, I mean, you're right. The first question, right? Vaccination is a way to reduce the number of variants. Does vaccination, uh, on the other hand, make it more likely that one of the variants will be vaccine resistant? I think right. it has to, but I just think that's not the end of the story. Uh, and, you know, if you, uh, compare that to the situation where nobody is vaccinated, I, I, I think you're, you're much better off with people getting vaccinated, but we, we, but, uh, well, here's the quote from a Dr. Wall. It's in a story in the, uh, one of the Carolina papers. He says, given that so many, this is a paraphrase. And then there's a quote, given that so many remain unvaccinated, there hasn't been an evolutionary need for a variant to evolve that's able to cause severe illness in those vaccinated, Wall said. You really need pressure to be applied to a virus in order to see it mutate, end quote. That's not true. That's not true. Do not listen to anything else this guy says. Do not listen to anything else this guy says. I just don't think it's the case that, that vaccine, any kind of environmental pressure in this situation is going to increase the rate of mutation. That's what he just said. He used the word mutate. That's not what we're talking about. What is it? Say, read that quote again. He did say to see it mutate. I think he meant to see it mutate that does, in, look, a, in a bad way. Let's change the subject. This guy is not worth spending any more time on. I'm sorry. 
The rate um, of mutation is decreased by vaccination because there's less virus around. And, and, and you know, the, the, the mutation rate is a function of the, the number of times the virus is replicating. And the less virus, well, the less replication. Well, forget this guy, but the, the general theory that... That, that don't just forget him. Let me give me his name so I can write him down and like dox him or something. This guy should be completely removed from our dialogue. What's his name? His name is Wall W O H L, and and Shame. Dr. David Wall, infectious disease specialist at UNC Chapel Hill. Specialists. What are the generalists like at Chapel Hill? That's what he, I'd like to know. They may be misquoting him, but Bob, forget forget Dr. Wall, but is the principle that w- if everybody was vaccinated, the vaccine would, the mutations would then select the ones that triumphed would be, uh, the, ones would that be triumphed the ones that would... can get around the vaccine. That principle seems solid, right? Um, well, if they triumphed, by definition, they would be triumphing in the environment they're in. And if that were an environment where everyone was vaccinated, yes, they would be doing pretty well. I mean, as well, I there said, you go. yeah, yeah, I, I, I conceded that point. I mean, OK, it, I thought you did. But, That's why but, I was worried that you were taking But there's all kinds of subsidiary questions like how likely is it that, uh, you know, the, the virus that is doing uh, relatively well spreading among vaccinated people uh, is doing worse than that spreading among unvac- unvaccinated people? For example, these are all it's a bunch of complicated questions. I don't know. I haven't gotten to the bottom of it, but we've 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 pondered these before to no great effect. I thought I know, but I thought I'd bring it up because I had this killer quote from Dr. Wall. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a quote that should be <laughs> killed forever and ever and ever. Uh-huh. Dead, dead, dead. Um, it, it also seems to be true that the Lambda virus, which everybody is worried about, is currently being outcompeted by the Delta virus. I don't know what oh, the, is that right. The, sorry. Maybe that's good because we at least have some the vac you know the vaccine is is somewhat effective against Delta. I don't know how effective it is against uh, Lambda, but um, it seems to be a matter of degree. But Delta is is so much more infectious that it's predominating. So what would the ideal would be if an if a relatively non lethal but incredibly infectious version predominated, right? And the, uh, that, that's the that's the ultimate like hope is that it, is it will all be infected, but it'll be a, by a version that doesn't cause much harm. But it, that doesn't necessarily happen because, it, for example, it never happened with smallpox. People were hoping that a less lethal version of smallpox would would come to the fore and it never happened. We have to eliminate smallpox. Um, so. so what do you think about this Afghanistan thing? That's a good transition, Bob. <laughs> I think we had to do something to get out of that. Uh, the um, you, you didn't want my, me to share my medical expertise anymore. Uh, I just I just think we keep talking about this, and I don't know any more than I did last time about this very same question about like the effect of the vaccine on you know on on the evolution of the virus. I mean, there's a couple of things you can say for sure, and then to to go from there. To well, does this mean the the vaccine is not good? Requires you to look into a bunch of questions. I don't know the answers to. Like how, li- like I said, how likely is something that evolves right. to thrive amid the vaccine to be something that wouldn't thrive among an unvaccinated? Right. Right. I mean, a good example is Delta. 
it does do better than its predecessor among the vaccinated, but it does better still among right. the unvaccinated. But, but we're not saying in order for the vaccine to be good, because the vaccine is good in any case. What we're saying well, in order to be good at stopping scary mutations. It can't stop mutate. I mean, if you want to stop mutations, vaccine as vaccinate as many people I said as possible. Scary mutations. Oh, being scary. ones that avoid the vaccine. Well, okay, but uh, but again, it, it's. I mean, strictly speaking, it's not even the scary mutations. It's the thriving of the mutations that, in retrospect, were scary. But uh, <laughs> you know, you you got me there, Bob. I, I, I just didn't want you to get, get go go the way of Doctor Wall. You, we just single handedly ruined his career, and I don't want to see you go there. Um. Okay. Anyway, uh, it sounded like you were saying there was an open question whether people should get vaxxed. No, I don't think so. I I don't think so as a practical matter. I I mean, the the answers to the questions that I don't know would have to be pretty strange and surprising for me to reach that conclusion. There's no doubt that we would be, you know, with respect to Delta, with respect to everything we've seen so far, we'd be in a much better world. We might not even have a Delta problem if Americans had gotten vaccinated in larger numbers. Yeah. And, and I would have thought you would go crazy for the WHO versus Biden fight over whether we should vaccinate the world or give ourselves a third dose. Well, I I mean, on ethical grounds, I'd say the WHO is right. What's interesting is it's not even clear that they're not right in terms of American self-interest. I mean, uh, you know, it could well be that from the point of view of long-term American health, it's better to send the vaccines abroad. I mean, that's how complicated this thing is, you know, Uh, like, in other words, if you can uh, radically decrease, uh, if you can use a million vaccines abroad in a way that radically decreases uh, the rate at which new scary variants are created in the long run, maybe that's better for America than slightly slowing the spread of Delta um, with booster vaccines, that's I, at least possible. I I always I think WHO makes that claim. The uh, the uh, that's a pretty extraordinary claim to make. The I'm people just that comment, the people that comment on the WHO report on NPR make that claim. I think uh-huh. it that way. Um, the uh, I, the principle I always apply, and maybe it doesn't work in this case, is uh, you know fit uh, uh, you know fix your oxygen mask to yourself before you help your the person in the seat next to you and if americans think they're being taken care of they will be more generous and gin up more funding and more production capacity to help the world and that's you're, pretty you're, strained that is a pretty strained excuse for getting mickey his booster shot i'll tell oh, you oh i i uh, I, 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 I said it may not apply to this case. I'm, uh, and I'm not looking forward to the third booster shot because if I have arthritis after the first booster shot, I don't know what's going to happen after the third one. But um, the other hip is what's going to happen. Uh, it's already in both hips and one knee and in one elbow. So uh, there you go. The, um, um, so okay, I just wanted to bring that up. A little chance for you to plug for for a global action? Well, no, I mean, I've said before, we're totally, you know, I mean, the failure in retrospect, I think, I mean, this, this may be viewed as a watershed failure in the sense that this was clearly something that even from the point of view of American national self-interest, we should have been thinking about globally, right? 
uh, just b- b- because like all these variants are rising abroad, right? That's a clue that, that sometimes it's in your interest to but, expend more resources abroad. Um, and, uh, and in retrospect, I think we're just going to say, you know, it's kind of stunning. Almost nobody was really thinking about this clearly, even from the point of view of national self-interest, let alone yeah. altruism or, you know. NPR was on the case. Are they? They were on the case. So but no, but, but who, in the, who, in the, who in the political world? Who, who among our leaders? Oh, nobody. It's in nobody's political interest. That's why Biden's not doing well, it. Well, actually, if you could make the point persuasively that it's in, a, you know, this is a good transition to Afghanistan. If you can make the case persuasively that it's in America's self-interest to do something, um, maybe you can win politically. Well, well. Here, I, here's how I think about it, Afghanistan, and tell me if I'm crazy. Um, there's sort of three positions. There's the Biden position, which is get out. If we lose quickly, so what? If there's a mess, so what? Uh, at least it's not bloody. In other words, right now, there was this another weird thing on NPR where they called the doctor of medicine without borders, doctors without borders, who has a clinic in some area. And they clearly expected, you know, we called you two weeks ago and the clinic was overrun with casualties from the fighting. Now, doctor, how it must be really awful. And the doctor said, no, actually, it's really fine now. We're back to normal. People aren't being killed. The fighting has stopped. Right. We're delivering babies. Um, and so the fighting stopped, the surrendering without a shot, uh, produced an incredibly bloodless transition of power, a relatively bloodless transition of power. And that's to Biden's, that's to the advantage of the Biden way of transitioning. Then there's the, we should leave, but we should leave left better crowd, which is the middle position, which is, you know, why did we have to abandon Bagram Air Base? Uh, Couldn't we have gotten the SIVs out more quickly? Why did we pull the contractors from who are supporting the Afghan army? At least, the Afghan army would have held out for a few more months, maybe in a few more years, and it would have looked better. And then there's the third position, which just seems to be the a, a sort of more powerful opposition. The problem with the middle position is we lose anyway, and in the process, more people are killed. Why is that such a big advantage just to have the face-saving few months before before the Taliban take over? Not going to help the long-run women and children in Afghanistan, because the Taliban are going to take over anyway. The um, the third one is if we kept 3,500 troops there, we could have held the Taliban at bay in, uh, indefinitely. And it, you know this is the McMaster position, and it was worth uh, well it was worth the 3,500 troops. And McMaster says, uh, I just want to finish. It. The, the master said the president, uh, the president, and the president before him, and the president before him has said it's not. If that's what it takes, it's not worth it. And McMaster claims now we see that it was worth it. Well, I'm not sure we see that it was worth it maintaining the 3,500 troops. But there's not nothing. We wouldn't get nothing for keeping the Afghan government in power. Well, first of all, I don't think you could have done it for 3,500 troops. I mean, remember, the Taliban had been slowly gaining ground in recent years as we reduced our troops. Secondly, the only reason no American troops had been dying is because uh, part of the Trump deal was that um, they couldn't kill American troops. And they actually honored that deal, but they only honored it because they, you know, because they, they believed the withdrawal was coming. That was what they gave us um, as part of the withdrawal deal. Um, the uh, So I'm not I'm not 
I don't think it's true that you could have preserved the status quo with this small a number of, of troops and this small a number of casualties. So um, it's, it's not like Korea, where we're in a standoff and the Koreans aren't shooting at us. So, yeah, we have a big garrison there, but they're not dying. Um, but I'm not sure I caught that. But uh, People say, well, we have troops in Korea and they're, oh, ba- yeah. and they're basically there permanently. And yeah, but they're oh, yeah, not but they're just at. they're just like that's just like they're doing yeah no there's no danger whatsoever yeah. I mean there, there's no ongoing um, there's no ongoing threat uh, and, I, and I guess what what McMaster's answer would be yeah some of them will be killed but it'll still be worth it yeah no no that's a straightforward deterrence troop presence and it's worked for decades right. that you leave no. them there North Korea doesn't dare right. attack and that's that. Right. No, but in Afghanistan, even suppose okay, suppose the Taliban starts shooting at us again, uh, uh, is it is McMaster would say it's still worth it because you know if you listen to the world, it's all oh the women the women aren't going to be able to go to universities and they're going to be oppressed by their husbands and uh, the, the, the Taliban is going to go into Pakistan and and if the Taliban takes over Pakistan, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. There might be a nuclear war with India. Uh, and well, uh, I mean, Pakistan has been a kind of a de facto ally of the Taliban's. I, I mean, uh, Pakistan does have reason to worry about uh, too much, uh, too much radical Islam, and there is a, a Pakistani version of the Taliban and so on. But but it's like these are so far fetched. I mean, you know, the headlines, the, the the various kinds of scare scenarios you're hearing, like. Oh, this will empower uh, Russia. I mean, l- let me let me let me give you a headline that was in the uh, that was in the New York Times. Like, okay, so with Afghan collapse, Moscow takes charge in Central Asia, and the subhead says that that this is quote at the expense of the United States. And then you read the piece, and there's not a single example where it clearly hurts uh, actual American interests. It, it make up the amount of American influence. But is that always a bad thing? And in fact, there's this quote in this piece from this guy, and I'll read, I'll read you. This is a paraphrasal of this Dubnov guy who's a Russian and an expert on the region. Here's the quote. All things being equal, Mr. Dubnov said, Moscow would have been happy for the United States to remain in Afghanistan and for Washington to continue to shoulder the burden of preventing the country from becoming a haven for international terrorist groups. The Kremlin sees the possibility of Islamist extremists and drug traffickers crossing into post-Soviet republics in Central Asia and from there into Russia as a serious threat. And then here's a quote from Dubnov. It was, of course, a great deal for us when the Americans were doing the work of dragging the hotheads out of the fire over there. Now, the, the point is local powers in that area have an interest in stabilizing Afghanistan and keeping it from being a cauldron that creates, uh, you know, terrorist groups that that spew their uh, violence all over the world. China also has such an interest. And yet what you're going to see is to the extent that Russia and China gain influence in Afghanistan and try to do those things, you're going to see people frame it as if this is some kind of fucking loss in the Cold War because now China has more influence. And you, and they're going to say, well, oh, this is part of China's plan to, you know, to uh, uh, overwhelm democracy with authoritarianism because the uh, the Taliban is authoritarian. No, it's just it's just China and Russia doing what powers do. And it could well be. Uh, on balance, good for us and save us a lot of trouble and a lot of blowback, by the way, uh, uh, you know, because we won't be the occupying forces. 
There's a void, Bob. There's a void, and they're filling the void. Exactly. I'm happy for there to be a void. It wasn't fun being the one who filled that void. And by the way, you know, the the Pulse nightclub shooting, second biggest mass shooting in modern American history. He was an Afghan-American who said during the shooting, uh, you guys are bombing my country. And, And he also mentioned Iraq. He mentioned Syria. He mentioned the whole thing and he mentioned ISIS. But uh, the, the fact is, I mean, I mean, the big question we haven't talked about, which is a legitimate question, and I'm sure it's McMaster's big concern, is will this be a platform for like Al Qaeda? It's a good right. question, but I just want to point out something I think I said a couple of weeks ago or something. All, all the only real uh, post 9-11 Islamist terrorist threat to the American homeland that has actually materialized is homegrown terrorism, and they tend to be people who say at least that they have been inspired by America being at war in majority Muslim countries. So so given the, the kind of terrorism we've actually seen in America for the past two decades, this should help, okay? But, but you seem to imply a while ago that the cauldron and the, the fighting led to the, in Afghanistan led to terrorism. I don't think that's true. It's the sta- stability that provides the platform for for uh, Osama bin Laden to set up shop, and or, or Osama doesn't doesn't care if there's a civil war raging. The question is, does the Taliban? Well, it, it, so it's not like civil war equals terrorism coming at the United States. Well, actually, Taliban takeover can equal terrorism coming to the United yeah, States. Yeah, what do you think brought the Taliban to power? A civil war. And who helped foment the civil war? The United States by turning Afghanistan into a proxy playground starting in 1979. Right. But what what led to Osama was the Taliban winning. And now they've won again. Right. But but what brought the, the reason the Taliban could well, come fine, to power was because question. of the chaos that we played a very large role in creating. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. Well, but, um, let's do it. I now. think we're making progress. Uh the, you, you mentioned the refugees, and of course, there's a. There was a. Now we're going to be taking a lot of more Afghan refugees, mm-hmm. like the Pulse nightclub shooter, and there's. Well, we don't a, know that. We don't know that. Right, but they're. They, well, they're, they're both Afghan refugees, and they, you know, they're refugees like him. They're not necessarily terrorists like him. And um, uh, the uh, there was there was a question in the press of whether Biden had delayed. Uh, the process of, repa- of of taking these people back. This is part of supposedly part of his bad planning for political reasons. In in, in because he didn't want the Trump Trumpists to uh, complain that oh you're taking in all these potential terrorists. So he really didn't want to confront that. So he slowed it down. And the administration has been saying oh that's ridiculous. Why would we ever do that? But it, it, it's plausible to me because if you remember Biden had you know, he he hasn't until recently, fucked around with the disaster at the border. He's let Mayorkas do his thing. But he did try very conservatively to keep down the refugee camp cap, mm-hmm. which is like a different issue, uh, seemingly for political reasons. Uh, and then he was rebuffed, and he raised it back up again. But he did have the, that political instinct, so maybe he had the same instinct with Afghanistan. It's entirely plausible to me that he... He's he's I mean, slow. Uh, he you know slow walking the refugees. Slow walk the refugees I, I, because he didn't want it to be an issue. I mean, 
It's not inconceivable, I suppose. Uh, but on the other hand, there's another explanation, which is that he really was kind of in a bind, which was that the Afghan government didn't want him to start doing mass evacuations for a very good reason. I mean, they said, if you start doing mass evacuations, people are going to think the party's over and uh, it's time to panic and the Taliban will take over. Now, we, we now know that the P- Taliban had negotiated so many deals that they were going to take over anyway. But th- that was the actual concern, apparently, mm-hmm. with with early mass evacuations. And and so he was in kind of a tough spot. And, and, and I can see that being the explanation for what he did. It's possible that uh, he's playing this very clever political game that you ascribe to him. I got to say, though, I'd be more convinced if he was doing more clever things in general. And, and he doesn't seem to me to be doing it a wouldn't lot be a clever things. political game. It would be, oh, my God, it would just be a visceral reaction political game. It'd be, oh, my God, I'm getting killed on the border. I can't give the Republicans one more issue to beat me over the yeah. head with. So I just don't want to do this. But it, the, I, the, the issue you raised is, was there a right, better way to uh, it, to get out. And uh, Trump says he would have a better way and I don't quite buy his way, but, uh, but it's, you know, suppose you said, look, we're getting out. Don't fuck with us. You know, we, we have, we have deterrence. We have, we have a, a military presence there and, and I'm behind our perimeter. We're going to take out all our civilians and all our uh, equipment and eventually all our troops. And this will be the situation afterwards, which is, you know, we will give X amount of aid to the Afghan government and they will do as well as they can do. And isn't that good for you, Taliban? And so you just do that. The Afghan government wouldn't like that, I guess, is the answer. But uh, what did the yeah. Afghan government think was going to happen? Be better than what they have now. Well, I think it's unclear whether the Afghan government in retrospect knew the whole thing was going to happen. I, I mean, who knew what? A lot of a lot of, of of at least regional officials uh had a clue as to what was going to happen because they were making the deals i think but the um i mean uh, well i don't know if this is, answers your question but but the other side of biden's calculation here and and another reason to think he wasn't trying to slow walk the refugees is if there are, you know, there are tens of thousands of people who worked for the American operation, Afghans, and they're still there. And if they all stay there and uh, the Taliban doesn't treat them nicely, and there's certainly a chance of that, that could be a political nightmare for Biden. Because, you know, the MSM seems to me very primed to cast this withdrawal in a negative light. I mean, obviously, it's been kind of a shit show. It's not like it's not like they really have to strain, but. It does seem to me that, and this is partly the blob at work, and it's partly, you know, a kind of tendency to emote over human tragedy, which is not a horrible uh, instinct. Um, But for whatever reason, it seems to me the MSM uh, is, uh, you know, almost trying to be as alarmist as they can be. And and so it, it... you know, Biden, if he's thinking clearly, I would think he doesn't want to leave all these people behind uh, and and permit, you know, the media to do an endless stream of stories about these people being imprisoned or or killed. Um, that's that's a good point. The, what, what If the media just focused on that, it wouldn't bother me so much as if you, you listen, especially to the BBC, the great loss of the war is, you know, a TV anchor in Afghanistan went to work and they wouldn't let her get in the, into the building. 
because right. she's a woman. Okay, it's a bad thing, but it's not worth having a war right. over. You know, and, well, and, and it, it 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 reflected the arrogance of one of the things that's supposedly worth the war, which is we're bringing our enlightened Western way of life, which I do think is more enlightened than their way of life, uh, to them at the point of a gun. And isn't this a good thing? And it's good for women and women go to school. That's just not worth having a war over. Stopping, stop, you know, uh, it, it, it's oh. a much, it's a, I assume you agree with my point as inarticulately as I've made it. Well, I mean, I think if you could at very low cost advance uh, human rights massively in any country, that would be great. But we've been at this for 20 years and it, it just hasn't gone well. The, but, but on the point of the uh, media, um, uh, you know, how much they're straining, I saw uh, the headline. It was either on the Poster Times today, at least online. It was like, uh, uh, Taliban uses tear gas to dispel demonstration. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's what we want. Tear gas, not bullets, right? They I mean, were bullets. They, in, in Jalalabad, they were firing into the air. Well, this headline, well, even firing into the air. They I killed mean, three people. Yeah, but you know, Mickey, I mean, uh, look, I'm just saying, you know, it wasn't this is gas. another thing. This is another thing. And this is a criticism of the media here. I'm going to say something that probably almost nobody out there knows, remembers. OK, so Egypt decided to have a coup during the Obama administration. The military did. We, had, you know, Egypt had gotten to a point arduously where they had an actual functioning democracy and it was functioning, not perfectly by any means. There was a lot of popular discontent, but there was a parliamentary election coming up. Relief was on the way. The, uh, the government did not seem to be trying to do some kind of, you know, strong arm move of, of subverting democracy. Okay. It was a Muslim Brotherhood, um, government. Now, military stages a coup. We know it's coming. We don't try to stop it. Obama never even called it a coup, even though it was like, Military marches in, takes the president, you know, sends him away. It was a coup, coup, coup. And then, and then some supporters of the president held a demonstration. And you know what happened next? They were killed. Yeah. You know how many? 150. A thousand in one day in one place. Okay. Now, and I just want to say, that gets no attention, and that's a case where we're supporting the fucking government that's doing it. We're doing them the but, favor of not calling this a coup. But, Mickey, I just want to say, this shit happens all the time, and but, now we do something where it's not the government support we're supporting. We just finally got the hell out of the country, and, and we're calling it a crisis if three people get shot. It's bad if three people get shot. But but My point was that... Three people getting shot is a worse harbinger of things to come than just using tear gas. It could well the example be example you were using. It could well be things could get much worse. They we, were much worse the first time around. I, but 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 I, the point is, I mean, another headline. Okay, this was the front page. Taliban commander says this is the Washington Post lead story. Taliban commander says group will apply Sharia law. Well, duh, it's a fucking Islamist government. Of course, the question is, what do they mean? What is their interpretation of Sharia law going to be? There was no chance they're going to say, you know, we've decided that Sharia law is just not the thing. We've kind of, this Islam thing was fun for a while, but it's just no longer very important to us. I mean, who was, who was doing the homepage for the Washington Post? And, and, you know, they're just they're just falling all over them. I have to speaking of. But the I post, think you've you've <laughs> left a big loophole for this kind of thinking when you say if the force is minimal enough, 
and the and the and the increase in human rights is great enough, then sure we can intervene. I think that's if that's a you very know, if it's some kind of sustainable it, it, if it is moving towards some kind of self sufficiency, it was moving the other direction. The Taliban was still gaining ground last year, Why, the year before. Uh, the, the argument before against that. that would be the more and more we had like hundreds of thousands of women going to universities and we are gradually sort of building up a, a class of people who liked the Western NGO way of life. And, and the more of them, the harder it is for the Taliban to, to take over again. And so we were making some progress just on demographic grounds. I, I, I don't buy it. I'm just Pro- saying there is an argument. Uh, no, progress was being made. This is just, it's just not sustainable. And the whole, I, I just think this whole business of having American troops everywhere um, is a bad business to be in. And one of them is that, again, it is it is implicated in almost all the serious homegrown terrorism we've seen. Now, getting out of one country alone is not going to um, solve that problem. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we just have, we, we ultimately have no, look, we have, we should endlessly apologize for what we've done to Afghanistan. And it starts in 1979 when we just treated them as che- pieces on a chessboard and start and, and, and helped escalate a situation that got well over a million of them killed. Okay. Before 9-11. Okay. But, but yeah. at some point you just got to say, uh, you know, we're just getting out of the whole business of fucking up countries. We help fuck up what? Iraq. We help fuck up Afghanistan. We help fuck up Syria. We just got to get out. Um, uh, I, I'm not, I, 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 that was a good rant and I basically agree with it. But, uh, I want to talk about this, this business about us supporting the Taliban during the Cold War. On your newsletter, you write. No, I didn't, I didn't say we supported them. I said we created, well, I mean, we did. We helped. Tra- we paid for the training of of Mullah Omar probably because he was trained by Pakistan's ISI. That's all true. But what I said was we contributed to the chaos that allowed as extreme a group as the Taliban to take power. I thought we explicitly gave money to the Taliban. That was that was well. Various of them. We, we may have done that too. We, we definitely well, subsidized uh, members of the Taliban. Anyway, you 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 say it's always bad to think of. Uh, and I'm, maybe I'm over, over, I'm exaggerating your argument to think of countries as pawns at play in the Cold War. Either they're on the the, the side of the people who were against, or the side of the people who were for. And uh, and Afghanistan was such a pawn that was in play. And but you you glide over in three sentences the fact that we won the Cold War. That was a benefit of invading of of aiding the Taliban. That has to be included in the calculation. And that's a big fucking benefit. No, it's uh, not. No, and, it's not. Because, and, 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 because the Soviet Union was absolutely doomed. The Sorry? only way, there was no way we were going to lose the Cold War. There was no way unless we had a nuclear exchange and everybody lost. Wait, there's the, no way we could the win Soviet the Cold War? The Soviet Union was a decrepit, technologically primitive, eco- economically, you know, hopeless machine. I was there in the in the early 1990s. It was pathetic. They were doomed to lose. It's possible that the Afghanistan intervention accelerated the date on which the Cold War ended. That's not impossible. 
But it's not what won the Cold War because the Soviet Union was never going to win. Well, but if you're in Eastern Europe, a country uh, under the control of the Soviet Union, uh, maybe the date would be pushed back without the Afghanistan humiliation such that all those countries that are now free would not be free now. They would take decades and decades for them to get out from yeah, under and maybe the, the failing Yugos- Soviet Union. And, maybe and that's the a Yugos- big win. You have to include that yeah, on the positive. And maybe the Yugoslavian civil war wouldn't have started. There's all kinds right. of things that happened when the Cold War ended. And there's all kinds of people who are dead because it ended there. And all kinds of people who are more free because you, it ended but you there. Can't, it's, it's right. Like, it's like, but you can't say it was bad to fight the Cold War and to use Afghanistan to win it unless you take into account all those no, I'm considerations. Was, it, and a lot of them are positive, and you don't do that in your piece. I'm saying it was bad to literally fight it. It was bad to send troops to Vietnam. It was bad to support right-wing murders in Central America. It was all bad, bad, bad. Because if we had had faith in our economic system, we would have just glided through the shit and said, bring it on. And we would have fucking sure was- won. And we would have fucking won. And, and I mean, let them pile up their, quote, assets like Cuba. Those were a drain on the Soviet Union because the economic system that they exported these countries did not work. Every well, we might still be in the process of winning. And that's 40 years of unfreedom so for Eastern what? Europe. So what? OK, well, I mean, you, I mean, look at look. you lived in Czechoslovakia. You might disagree. Yeah. And if I was a dead Bosnian Muslim, I might I might agree. I mean, again, all kinds of stuff happened. Uh, after the Cold War. And it's just, you know, the, the various counterfactuals you can do are, you know, just highly conjectural you, at best. The, the problem is that I, you, you make the Cold I mean, War. Set- can I just say one more thing? How many dead people in Vietnam? I mean, this is all, you know, add up the whole damn thing. Before you start, you know, celebrating whoever you want to celebrate on the other end of the I'm calculus. not celebrating. I'm just saying I agree with you about Vietnam. I'm just saying your piece did not have the full did not have the full balance of the positives because we won the Cold War. That's all I'm saying. No, but uh, remember, I have one more point, which is, is we, we we didn't need to do that shit to win okay. the Cold War. Oh okay. that was Vietnam you, did not accelerate our winning of the Cold War. Vietnam didn't. Afghanistan might have. Maybe um, the uh, so I guess I, the other problem I had is to see to me the Cold War paradigm, which you don't like, uh, is better than what's the real paradigm now, which is the war of liberal author- anti-authoritarianism against authoritarians everywhere, whether they're Russian or communist or not. And that's a much more dangerous ideology, that's George Bushism, basically, or Ann Applebaumism, whatever you want to call it. We are against authoritarianism everywhere, and it's worth taking up arms to to fight the authoritarians like the Taliban, even though, like now, they have no bearing on any Cold War that we could care about. Uh, that, according so, to these, according to the Ann Applebaums, that is the new Cold War, right? It, it's We're not fighting communism, we're fighting authoritarianism. Well, right, but that's a much broader Cold War than just fighting the Soviet Union, and that's why I think it's more dangerous. And uh, uh, so I think you, you should acknowledge that it's sort of – the Cold War is, is actually not that bad. If we just say we're in a Cold War with China, we're just fighting China, that's a lot – that leads to a lot fewer wars and, and loss of life than if we say we're fighting authoritarianism everywhere on the planet it exists, including China. Well uh, – no, wait. I mean, it's actually kind of analogous. During the Cold War, China and Russia were the looming superpowers, 
And we attributed stuff in all kinds of countries to their malign influence. And often it was their influence, but we just kind of over-dramatized the stakes. And so we saw all of these various countries, Angola, you know, in Central America and Southeast Asia. And we saw all these countries as important proxy battlegrounds uh, that that uh, were ultimately extensions of Rus- usually Russian or Chinese influence. And now we're doing that again. Now we're saying... China and Russia are these two authoritarian superpowers, not communists per se. And 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 so and and again, we're, believe we're not, me, yeah, we're not saying that about Afghanistan. We're saying Afghanistan may not be a pawn, may not be a pawn of Russia or China, but it's authoritarian. So we should fight it just on its own. There will be some countries that aren't pawns of of of, the, of your adversary in a Cold War, who who you will fight under the. Ann Applebaum, George Bush theory, and you will not fight under Cold War theory. You will not intervene. And so so they're not I'll, the same. I'll bet you there will be people trying to frame it in terms – that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but it's when ridiculous. China starts doing business with Afghanistan, trust me, trust me, these people, some of them, are going to be depicting Afghanistan as an extension of Chinese influence. But if you read Ann Applebaum's piece, if you read Applebaum's piece of the Atlantic, she doesn't talk about China or a Cold War. She talks about – the war against authoritarianism. And that's how George Bush put it in his second inaugural, which is spreading democracy is in our interest. We will spread democracy everywhere. Okay. Uh, I just predict that people, that they will be uh, very attentive to the faintest sign that these authoritarian countries are getting assistance of some kind from China oh, sure. or Russia that will allow them to turn it into this giant paradigm. Well, sure. They'll, totally they'll seek whatever argument they can, but, I think you're you are allergic to the Cold War paradigm because Absolutely. you don't want a Cold War with China, so you're tarring it in order to make the current posture against China look worse. And since I'm sort of sympathetic to the new Cold War against China, I, I would I would rather uh, not heap opprobrium on the old Cold War paradigm, but focus on the paradigm that's actually in operation now, which is the war against authoritarianism. Well, I just think the last Cold War was a source of massive delusion, just actually a confused view of the world. And in retrospect, you can point to the things that we were just flat out wrong about, but also to a huge amount of morally indefensible conduct. We just got a ton of people killed and tortured. You know, I mean, that's bad. And and and, and the dynamics are the same here in 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 principle, and the same the same temptations. You know, like. The, the same like attributing this to that, you know, to the, the this looming superpower and so on. Um, you know, yeah, I worry. Uh, I, I mean, in many ways, it's different. And in, in some ways, I think the stakes are higher now. It's more important to avoid a Cold War now because there are now more global problems that really, really have to be confronted. I mean, maybe confront I, amid a Cold War. Maybe a Cold War against China would limit the amount of suffering and killing because there will be countries that will be on our side against China that will be authoritarian, and uh, the Ann Applebaums will say we have to fight them, and the Cold War people will say, no, they're on our side, they're okay. And and the environmentalists will say, no, they're on our side on global warming, they're okay. So we won't have civil wars in those countries. So a Cold War is a limiting principle as opposed to the universal, expansive, uh, anti-authoritarian principle. Uh, just throwing that out. Got, I mean, it, it is int- it is an interesting um, question. 
you know, whether these people will be true to their word and really oppose authoritarianism everywhere they find it. Because remember, in the Cold War, uh, there was an, an explicit justification for doing business with authoritarians because they weren't totalitarians. Remember that distinction? The uh, Gene Kirkpatrick distinction, like, um, and, and so... Right. In the Cold War, they explicitly I'm, said, look, we're I'm relying on that for- distinction. That's my argument was relying on that distinction. So, OK, so in the Cold War, we, we made that distinction explicit and said it's fine to do business with authoritarians. Well, now that we've declared authoritarianism the enemy, it'll be interesting to see how these people get around these various complications. I mean, why isn't Michael McFall demanding that we end our relations with Saudi Arabia and with Egypt like today? Is Ann Applebaum well, I don't think demanding the same that? Pe- why not? If not, I don't think the people who are leading the anti-authoritarian uh, the, the anti-authoritarian movement would 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 have problems with uh, going against Saudi Arabia or the Philippines or any other authoritarian. Well, or- why did they so rarely utter that sentence then? If they wouldn't have pro- why aren't they actively advocating it? I thought it was their whole crusade. I thought authoritarianism was the whole enemy. Why isn't Ann Applebaum out in front of the Saudi embassy protesting or something? How often does she does she really put her her rhetorical energy behind well, ending ending relations with Saudi Arabia, with Egypt, uh, and with various other countries? I I call her coherent if you just ask her should we should we stand up to the Saudis? And she said yes. You don't have to. Uh, you know, they, they, these the, Ann Applebaum is not Barry Weiss. They're not people who will temper their temper their principles when Israel's involved. I mean, these are, you know, the I think I think they're two different groups of people. Well, maybe I'm, maybe she has made that a big cause. I, I could be wrong. I, I haven't um, I haven't noticed. No, I just see. Well, why do you have to make something a big cause? I mean, as long as it's a cause. Well, uh, no. If you say the enemy is authoritarianism. You need to you need to act like you mean that. You know, you can't be selective. And just because you happen to have friends in Hungary or something, obsess over that. Do we really mean you really want a global war on authoritarianism? Do you understand all that involves? Well, I I don't know. I think there's this is an argument that's made against me all the time, which is why I'm making just as much a fuss about something else that I don't like. And I say, well, I don't like it. You can only make a fuss about so many things at once. Um, no, no, but this is this is making a fuss over straightforward extensions of what they claim is their ideological obsession. And again, I don't know, Anna, I don't I, I don't follow her that closely. Maybe she's the exception. But there's a ton of people who are talking this talk, including Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken. OK, and they're not and they're not doing anything about Saudi Arabia or Egypt. Well, it turns out it's they're bullshit. not doing anything about Afghanistan either. So they're consistent. Uh, well, uh, not, but, but, but look, I don't think those two guys favored this. I think this was a Biden show. Um, oh, but no, Blinken, Blinken, you know, was Biden on Biden's team in the Obama administration. And supposedly he bonded with him because he had similar views of foreign policy. And I, this has to be one of the views that we should Maybe. get the hell out of Afghanistan. I mean, it could. It could. I don't know. Uh, so um, I don't think I don't think I don't think Blinken spent a minute you I, know, I, arguing that we have to stay because uh, because of uh, humanitarian and feminist and, uh, you know, anti-authoritarian I, concerns. I do want to say, I mean, look, those concerns are not nothing. I, <clears throat> I do think it's interesting 
I mean, first of all, a lot has changed since the Taliban. The Taliban hasn't run Afghanistan in 20 years. A lot has happened. Smartphones, stuff like that. And even the people in the Taliban themselves are, some of them are more cosmopolitan than they used to be. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens. I think it's a good sign that they seem more concerned with their public image than they used to seem. A Taliban spokesman came on NPR and said, we will uh, not interfere, something like this, I didn't hear the exact words, with the right of women to get an education. Well, that would be a very big difference. And, and Well, I, don't, I have severe doubts about whether they'll actually do that. Well, uh, the, the, the next wave of stories, I agree, well, they'll be on the lookout for reprisals, and there'll also be a wave of stories about how, well, it's been 20 years, the Taliban are finding it's not so easy to, to impose their rule on a more cosmopolitan nation. So I look forward to those stories, too. Uh, Bush's Bush's interview and uh, Bush's Biden's interview with Stephanopoulos. There are is two it, things I think that are worth talking about. Is that, that the one where he mentioned Taiwan? I don't know. He said one of the things is he said there's a greater threat to you of terrorism to United States from Syria than from Afghanistan, and that just like struck out to me. What is the threat of terrorism against the United States from Syria? Well. I, I, he probably has in mind groups that actually were, quote, on our side. I mean, I don't think we directly supplied weapons to these various al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria, but some of our, quote, allies did, and some of the weapon, weapons we supplied wound up in their hands. Well, but is there any – okay, so you're saying he's completely wrong, but is he – No, I'm not he, saying he's completely wrong. I, I'm saying, uh, yeah, Syria, we helped. We We and our allies helped – uh, arm al-Qaeda-affiliated groups in Syria. This is right, how screwed up our policy has been. It just makes no sense. But, right, I agree with that, but e- even so, is anybody launching a terrorist strike against the United States from Syria? I don't well, think so. Well, nobody's launching them from anywhere outside. That's what I've said. That's what I've been saying. The only known, the only threat that has actually materialized is homegrown terrorism. And, and now, now it's not impossible that, and, and you know, I have no idea what means, what things we're doing around the world to prevent t- t- terrorist attacks and various platforms. And I'm sure we were better off uh, in this respect uh, while still in Afghanistan. You know, it, there's more uncertainty now. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if the Taliban, if we can convince them, I mean, they did agree, you know, for what that's worth that they won't be a, a base to Al-Qaeda. Um, I don't know if it's worth anything, but um, I do think, uh, you know, there are forms of retaliation we can threaten that would make them think twice about this. But I also, um, I, I honestly don't know how big even in principle the threat is. I mean, it just can't be, what exactly is the asset that a country like Afghanistan provides to somebody plotting the next 9-11, right? I mean, it, it's like, it's not like you need a huge stretch of turf. It's not like you need a 700-acre training camp, right? I mean, it's like, what? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if they're thinking about them building a nuclear bomb or something, I, I, I it hasn't, it's not clear to me. Uh, maybe what, maybe remote work doesn't work for them any more than it's working for IBM. <laughs> could be. They have to have a campus. Um, they can interact and spark off each other's ideas. But this is the Syria, the Syria thing. 
you were supposed to react to that saying, oh, my God, Syria is not a terrorist threat to the United States. We've made it worse. And Biden is captive of the blob. And this quote proves it. Why? That was my reaction. Well, no, I'm not saying that Syria is this huge threat. I'm saying uh, it is uh, to say that, look, Afghanistan is no more of a threat than than places like Syria are, uh, I think, is is valid. That's not to say Syria is a huge threat. On the other hand, look, there are these anti-American groups that thanks partly to our intervention have more weapons than, than they had before. Well, but that's, that's, that part's that's true. the opposite of what Biden was saying. Biden was saying, look, we were d- ridiculous to stay in Afghanistan, which wasn't as big a threat as Syria. We have to stay in Syria because Syria is a threat. Oh. And you're saying Syria is making the threat worse. And I agree with that. Is he saying Syria, the government, is the threat or terrorist groups somewhere in theory, Syria, the threat? He, he just said he, he said we should cut focus on intervening in Syria to protect the United States. Well, more I, than I disagree focus on there. Afghanistan. I, I disagree there, because remember, all of these groups in Syria that could con- conceivably pose a threat to us, the regime doesn't like the regime will my take point. care of them. Iran will take care of them. Okay, that was my point. Okay, fine. We are on the same page. I I take it back. I I, I, wait. Iran will take care of what? Of these Sunni terrorist groups. You think Iran likes ISIS and Al Qaeda? Let Iran and Syria handle that territory. And I assure you, the number of terrorist groups that could conceivably pose a threat to the United States will decline. I hadn't thought of that point. Good point. Um, So. I mean, this is how crazy our policy has been, Mickey. It makes no sense. Um, do you think uh, the only other thing I had to talk about, do, do you think the idea of, well, we're withdrawing, but we just want there to be a decent interval between our withdrawal and when it becomes obvious we've lost. Uh, do you think that argument, which was made in Vietnam and is now being made here with Afghanistan, has any merit at all? I would think there might be some evolutionary basis for for uh you know making for for saying yes it's quite rational to to fight for a decent interval what you're asking me would a decent interval be better than what happened i i yes think is there I, is there is there any is there a, should we just throw this decent interval argument into well, the trash or is there something to no, it w- there's a i have an answer it's probably not the one you're expecting in the affirmative which is that you know, the hawks in the uh, foreign policy establishment are among their talking points now are that because the collapse has been so uh, calamitous and, and actually, again, has been nearly as bad as it could have been in terms of actual dead people. Uh, although, granted, uh, again, the welfare, I mean, the welfare of women is a, is a big concern and the welfare of uh, those people helps uh, is a big concern. Um, but but anyway, the. Um, the the talking point is that uh, because the the humiliation has been so abject, uh, our credibility is shot. Nobody will, uh, nobody fears us anymore. No allies think we'll stand by their side. Which, when you think about it, just doesn't make sense. I mean, Afghanistan was a really pecu- peculiar case in a lot of ways. Uh, but that talking point, and I think some people want it to have this effect. That talking point. Uh, could have the effect of making Biden talk tougher and act tougher. And one one of the things he said, in fact, and I don't know um, if this was in the Step, Stephanopoulos uh, interview, but he, he 
he kind of said, I mean, here's the quote. Uh, we have made, kept every commitment. So he is replying to this talking point. We made a sacred commitment to Article 5 that if, in fact, anyone were to invade or take action against our NATO allies, we would respond. Same with Japan. Same with South Korea. Same with Taiwan. Now, as was pointed out, this is a departure from the traditional American doctrine with respect to Taiwan of strategic ambiguity. We, we, have, never, we have not traditionally said we are committed to defending Taiwan. And uh, and so there was naturally press coverage of this. And, you know, this is one of the downsides of having, you know, a president who is, you know, probably uh, at an age and, and uh, stage of cognitive evolution where he should. I thought he breached strategic ambiguity a while ago, not just in this interview. Well, maybe. But this this uh, I don't know that he did, uh, I think. Well, but but anyway, the, the, I, my concern is. They're trying to to intimidate him into being more hawkish. You know, it's like it's like did the Bay of Pigs make did the humiliation of the Bay of Pigs make us more likely to get into Vietnam? Probably. You know. Well, that's, that's if, if you remember work. when 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 we the first Iraq War when we won the first Iraq War, what were President George H. W. Bush's first words? The Vietnam Syndrome is over. So he'd we'd spent twenty years right. or so agonizing over the mor- morale hit of Vietnam. And I just think I don't want to look, don't want to look forward to 20 years more agonizing over the morale hit of Afghanistan or the compensatory wars that are going to be launched to get rid of it. I agree with that. So I guess to the, ex- to the extent that humiliation is an independent factor from just losing, uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, I um, agree. The- and what, what I hope is that our focus I mean, look, our influence, it's not nothing, first of all. We have a lot of influence. And the IMF is currently withholding funds from the Taliban. We have economic oh, leverage. Uh, and I fear that we will not use it wisely. But uh, we have some influence. But let's face it, China has some, Pakistan has some, Russia has some. I just hope that when we assess the things that those countries are doing, we will continue to do what a lot of people are are doing now focus on the welfare of the Af- the Afghan people. If 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 uh, you know if a relationship with China or Russia or whatever uh, is accompanying what seems to be a kind of a productive evolution of the Taliban mindset. In other words, you're not killing a lot of people. They're letting women get educated. Wait. Whatever. I say, let it go. We should not view the influence of regional powers on Afghanistan as a threat per se. I thought the non-interventionists wanted to focus on the interests of the United States. Now we're saying we have to care about the interests of the Afghans. Um, I'm I'm saying that that's always something worth caring about, uh, and 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 I'm just saying. I mean, this is a case uh, where. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying anything that's advocating sacrificing American self-interest for their their welfare. I, I think I think a sober, balanced, non-panicky view of what China and Russia does in the world is in America's self-interest inherently. In this case, it could also pay off by allowing us to focus on on what's actually happening in Afghanistan and not freaking out over uh, foreign influence there per se. And, um, and not expecting democracy to flourish overnight. That's not going to happen. I mean, the short-term yeah. goals are, you know, women getting, you know, women getting educated, 
people not being murdered and tortured in large numbers. I mean, we have to be realistic. That's probably not going to happen overnight either. Well, we'll one see. Thing, we'll see. One thing that uh, one, one way it, in which it hurts us is the Chinese looking to invade Vietnam are not thinking, oh, we might uh, look to invade Taiwan. They're not thinking, oh, my God, we're up against the fearsome General Milley. We'll never win against General Milley and the Pentagon of the United States because they're so obviously brilliant. Um, it, it has to have degraded our status around the world. What, did he, did, he, did he speak woke talk or what? Well, now he understands what right, what wide rage is really about, yeah. But um, you think no, he, um, he, uh, because he's so obviously semi-competent. Because the whole Pentagon is so obviously semi-competent. Uh, and, and, and so these semi, people are going to win meaning, the defense of Taiwan? Meaning he's incompetent. Not, I don't know how incompetent he is. He's obviously not competent enough. He's not brilliant, that's for what, sure. What's the evidence he's not I mean, I honestly don't know that much about him, except that he he understands uh, some. He speaks a little well, bit of what he really thinks it's a bad outcome, and he could see the outcome. He should have quit, right? Wait, what did he say? I, maybe he said something I'm not aware of. I don't. It, either he was unaware of the, of. He doesn't think that what happened was good. He's been going to great pains of saying, "Well, we didn't. This wasn't told to me that this was a possibility." Well. Then there's something horribly wrong with the Pentagon if it doesn't get the potential bad news to the oh, top. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, and it's a structural thing. I may have said this last time, but I've been, you know, I've been listening to the best and the brightest. And uh, Halber Sam says something like, you know, the the military before you're going to make an intervention, they'll they'll give you all the all the warnings, the shit that could go wrong. But once they're in there, the problem is the opposite. They, they want to give you the good news. Yes, this is working. Yes, President Obama, this building up of a 300,000 strong force of, of Afghans is really a great thing, even though we're not going to give them the, the like keys to, to the maintenance equipment they need should we ever leave. You know, I mean, um, you know, th- there's a bias uh, in favor of uh, of covering up the bad news, just an well, institutional you just, bias. You just made the case against Millie. That, that maybe I didn't make. So there. Well, he's he's doing what uh, bureaucrats and, and generals have tended to do, which is they like to be able to, and, and human beings generally, which is they like to be able to tell their superiors they're succeeding. Right. But in any, any, he's, he's at the top of the pyramid. The guy at the top right. of the pyramid should know that he's being fed, fed bullshit and to take measures to get around the bullshit, the most famous of which according to the Charlie Peters Washington Monthly Gospel, was FDR relying on the in-person reports of uh, of his wife's alleged lover, Lorena Hickok, about what was actually happening in the country, which were apparently very good. So, uh, and, and there was supposed to be a back channel in the State Department to let people, employees get around this problem. And obviously all that doesn't work because it happened again. And if you're well, China looking at Taiwan, yeah. you're thinking... Well, these generals don't know even how to, how to run their operations, so there we can beat them just like the Vietnam, Vietnamese did. And that can work both ways. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if it. What's the other it, way that it works? Well, the, these guys are so incompetent; they could overreact and attack us if we if we mess with Taiwan. You know, these guys could they could press the nuclear button. It's like the it's like Nixon's crazy man theory, right? Make them think we're a little crazy. Well, maybe maybe making I'm not I'm not advocating incompetency for on game theoretical grounds, but it could it could help. Um, good point. 
Um, uh, okay, well, I'm that's all the foreign of, policy uh, I had to talk about today. I mean, you know, we're not out, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot to be, look, we still got tens of thousands of people who helped us. We're in Afghanistan. They're not out. Uh, this is going to be an unfolding story for a long time, but it concerns me that the predisposition of the media seems to be to turn this into a, uh, you know, a bad, a bad story. Aren't you, isn't it more concerning the, the, what it says about Biden? I mean, Biden obviously buys a bunch of bullshit. He, he bought the bullshit about how this, you know, this, this would happen slowly. He had more time. He had, you know, the, Taliban wouldn't take over immediately. Just the ways he's 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 buying. I, I don't know if he's even even quite buying the bullshit on the border about how well the border is under control. You know, uh, these people. It's a seasonal problem. It'll go away in the summer. Well, it hasn't gone away in the summer. Uh, and bizarrely, this is a, a transition. If you'll let me do that, uh, there's one. There there are rumors that Biden is about, actually about to reinstitute to do a little bit of an about face which everybody's been waiting for with this bleeding sore, waiting for him to change the policy. He might reinstitute Trump's remain in Mexico policy if he can, uh, which was very important in terms of, uh, you know, keeping the flood of, of refugees down or asylum seekers down. And that would be a huge deal. That would be uh, the left would go berserk for one thing. Uh, I don't think he has the balls to do it. But there's there was a report in Vice magazine allegedly based on three sources. Is this, in, is this for is this with asylum cases? Yes. In other words, you come seeking asylum and you can prosecute your case. But the the key loophole is they get in the country while their case is pending, which means they never leave. And this would say, no, you have to wait out your case pending in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to take advantage of that key global. And once that happens, the flow stops because people, people aren't coming to prosecute asylum cases. They're coming to get into the country. Once they don't get into the country, then it all dries up. Um, the other big component was we talked Mexico into, we actually threatened Mexico with tariffs. So they would take measures at their Southern border to stop the flow. Uh, uh, and those are the two key planks of, of what eventually worked for Trump. Anyway, if Biden, you know, maybe, uh, there, there's the crazy theory that Biden is uh, uh, he's going to actually turn half Trumpy, maybe even more Trumpier than Trump. Well, I think he's got it in him in the sense that, you know, he's. Um, I mean, he's in touch with the traditional base of the, the, the previous base of the Democratic Party, you know, the white working class. And uh, and he's probably got a little populism in him and a, and, a, and I guess a little economic nationalist in him. Right. He has shown signs of this all along, I think. A few little signs here and there. This refugee thing we were talking about was one of them. Uh, but on the border, he's totally let the left take over. But it, like it's been clear all along. To me, it seems it's been pretty clear that his heart wasn't in any wokeism. He felt he had to speak from time to time. Um, does it matter if he if he's a doddering old man who feels he has to enact wokeist policies? Who cares if his heart's in it? Well, the daughter and old man uh, problem is maybe one thing we could discuss in the parrot room. It's, um, well, the, the, certainly the Kamala problem has become more atten- intense now. Okay, I'm writing down parrot room topics because we're at a minute 15, an hour 15 right now. Um, Kamala, 
we talk about in the parrot room coming up next. Uh, uh, yeah. What else? I have, uh, well, there, um, not a hell of a lot. Uh, I got, uh, I have uh, one point to make about JD Vance. Uh, can't get enough of that. There is a, there is Epstein. There, there is, John Ellis had a long interview with somebody about the case against Jelaine Maxwell, which, but it's a podcast and I'm not going to have, I haven't listened to it. I'm not going to have time to listen to it before <laughs> the paradigm. I don't think. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's I'll cross two weeks out. There's Twitter, Twitter instituting a system where reader, where readers can flag misinformation on their own. Uh, and what happens? Hard, I don't know, but it's hard to believe anything good will happen. Um, we have, um, uh, I can talk about why I hate topic A, which are the two topics we've talked about. Uh, wait, topic A, topic A, I hate talking about topic A being, uh, Afghanistan and the virus. I like talking about little topics like, uh, the Jeopardy host, the new Jeopardy host who had to quit almost immediately because of some things he said, uh, that were allegedly, well, they were sexist, but how big were they? Uh, there's, uh. Larry Elder, there was some scandal about Larry Elder that just came out. How dispositive will that be? Uh, there's, uh, is the Atlantic really prospering? Uh, um, I hope you have the answers to all these questions because you know, you only get into the parrot room if you're a, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash parrot room and become a patron. Yeah. And if all these people do this, Mickey, and you don't have all the answers to these questions. There's going to be a mass exodus. There's going to be a rebellion. Um, are you familiar with the Texan Nancy Griffith? You know, uh, the reason, the, the backstory there is you and I both know a Nancy Griffith who is not this one. But but this one was the, the singer who that's died. Nancy Griffin. Oh, that's Nancy Griffin. I guess I don't know her as well as I thought. She's your friend, basically, but I've met her. Yeah. But but um, you mean the one who, the singer who died? Yes. Yeah, N-A-N-C-I. Right. Yes, the one who uh, sang uh, from a distance before Bette Midler and yet didn't become famous for it. Um, okay, well, you know a little bit. Anyway, I can I talk about what I know about her, which is not that much. Um, she was really good. Uh, um, Nancy Griffith. Okay, here's here's a couple of things we can talk about. Uh, a One of our the Parrot Room commenters asked us, was I think a little distraught to learn that neither of us drinks. We're both teetotalers and they want to know why they want to know the story. We're going to reveal, at least I'm willing to tell okay. my story. Yours. I know is full of uh, tragedy, sorrow and mayhem. You may want Human to heartbreak it and hope. Yeah, I know, but I think we can get it out of you. Um, well, that's a little sexier than the ones I talked about. Uh, and also a little more about the Weinstein brothers. We'll save it for the end for you. Weinstein phobes. Um, I've watched, uh, I can say a little about the show Ted Lasso. Have you seen that show? It's it's Apple TV Plus's big hit, Ted Lasso. What does it have to do with the Weinsteins? Nothing. It's a, it's a separate item. I've got it. It's, well, if it doesn't have to do with the Weinsteins, why I don't talk want to hear about it. it. Why talk about it at all? Maybe <laughs> I can come up with a Jeffrey Epstein angle. Um, um, so that's a bunch of stuff. We, we, mostly talk- to, we, we also have a public service announcement. Next week, we may uh, 
we may tape and post on Thursday. That's possible. So be alert. Right. Right. And it's, it's possible. We'll do like regular podcast Thursday. Parrot room won't come out until the following day or something. Various things are possible, but be alert. Uh, also Tucker Carlson had a show on UFOs. Oh yeah. He's pro UFO. He's yeah, pro okay. openness to UFOs. And you, did you watch it? I did not. I read a summary of it, but okay. We can talk about that some other time. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't want to overpromise. Right. Uh, but all this is available at patreon.com slash parrot room. I don't think we've overpromised. Well, we've, we've mentioned a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> you're going to get to the bottom of the Atlantic's financial situation. But the only sexy one was why aren't we drunks? Yeah. That, even that, that might not be. I think we should people. spend time on that. Uh, maybe I'll tell a harrowing story or two. I have a harrowing story about. I think we people. may have heard that harrowing story before. But no, no, that's different. Again. That was a different drug. See, folks, this is how wild the pair room is. Could be any nope. number of drugs. Happens to be alcohol this week. Next week, quien sabe. The one where you got so drunk that you were like in the dumpster and they poured the trash on you. Mickey's making this up. It was <laughs> the real story is much more harrowing than that. Okay. Fair enough. I did make that up. Um, okay. okay. And uh, Actually, that, I oh, think that oh, happened oh. to a friend of mine. Oh, smash the like button. Sorry, I uh, started yelling about foreign policy. Mickey just trolls me every week, and I always fall for it. And I'm sick that, of it. And I'm not going to do it again. That's the key virtue. You didn't lose control, Bob. I didn't? No, we like it when you lose control, but you kept control. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Next week, hope springs eternal. So smash the like button, rate and review the right show, read Cal's files, the newsletter that uh, makes up for what it lacks in frequency with with quality. Is that your motto? Brevity. With brevity. We're going for brevity or not existence. True, it doesn't come out often, but it's very short when it does. So yeah, I've maintained a meaningful silence for a month at least. Yeah. No, it's not. That's the other thing. We can talk about what you should write next. I'm going to write that down in the parrot room. We're going to we're going to prepare your next story. What? What I should write? Yeah. Okay. I need yeah. some some inspiration. Um, not, I I am it. Always. Okay. So we will. So on to the parrot room. Okay. See folks there. <laughs>